0: If you were Satan and you were bent on the destruction of people, in fact that's why you exist, it's for the, the destruction of people, that's your mission. If you were against the, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and if your intent was that people would never find peace with God through their Savior, what would you do about the church? Think about that this morning. If you were Satan and that was your plan, that was your your goal, what is it that you would do about the church? Would you try and remove it? Would you try and take it out? Well, friends, I want to tell you, he has tried that. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. If you were Satan, would you persecute it? You can't take it out, but maybe you would persecuted maybe you would inflict pain and suffering in the form of persecution maybe you would maybe you would injure it through hatred and conflict and division and maybe that's how you would stop the church you would persecute it. well friends i can tell you he's tried that as well and the more that he does it the the crazy thing happens the gospel spreads in fact it speeds up as the persecution increases and that's how it's been ever since the conception of the church If you were Satan, what would you do about the church? Would you infiltrate it and somehow change its message? Would you somehow distort its truth? And you found that you can't silence it, but maybe you can change the message that it would proclaim. Would you try and infiltrate it and change its goals? Change the reason that it exists and who cares if the church is busy? Who cares if the church is doing all the things as long as it's not the thing that God has ordained? Maybe you would infiltrate it and having changed the the message of the church and having changed the mission of the church, maybe you would then cause people to be apathetic about the church and not see it for what it is, not value it for what it is. And with a changed message and a changed mission and an apathetic people, maybe that church would appear as a success. Maybe the world would love that church. Maybe it would seem like a great thing, but it would be empty and powerless and sterile. Friends, I'm afraid that is exactly where we are at today. He couldn't stop the church. He's tried. He couldn't crush it out. He's poured out persecution against it. So he joined the church. And what he couldn't do from the outside of the church, he's done from the inside of the church. And he's changed the message of the church. And he's changed the mission of our churches. And he's made us apathetic in both of those. And I'm afraid that's where we are at today. Today, as we can continue our study in the book of Acts, we are going to see today in our study the singular message that results in the singular mission of the church. Our message today is entitled, One Message, One Mission. And let me say as we begin today, we need this in the church today. The Christian world needs this truth today. One message, one mission. Today we're in Acts chapter 9, verses 26-26 through 31. Acts chapter 9 verses 26 through 31. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 26, God's word says this. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the ability to come to you in prayer today. Just this, through Christ, our Savior, our Mediator. Lord, I, I come today and I, I praise you and I worship you. We're thankful for you. We exalt you. Lord, I, I come now and I pray as we're, as we're going through this study that you would speak to us as the church, that you would lead us as the church, that it wouldn't just be a sermon to hear and to check away and leave this building, but we would be shaped and built in the hearing of your word. Lord, I I know the world needs a church. And I pray that trained in the word of God that we would be that church. Lord, I pray for some and maybe several in this room that do not know you. I pray that in the, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that today might be their day of salvation. Lord, we give this to you as an act of worship. We submit it to you as an act of worship. We tell you we love you, we do praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. As we begin our study today, let me catch us up on the context. Remember, over the past several weeks, over the last sets of verses, we have seen that Saul has set out to persecute the church. He is a hater of the church. He is a denier of the truth of Jesus Christ. And he has set out to stop, to hinder the spread of the gospel by stopping the church. Well, on the way to Damascus, he encountered Jesus. And we, we read of that encounter. He, in that encounter, he is saved, he is called, and he is commissioned. And it's a, it's a marvelous set of events. Now, the Bible tells us that immediately back in Damascus, there in Damascus, he preaches Jesus As the Christ. And so he takes his vast knowledge of the scriptures and he begins to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And so immediately he is preaching the good news of a Savior in Jesus Christ. Now, in the form of a timeline uh, from the book of Galatians, when we put the two accounts together, uh, from there he goes to the desert of Arabia. That's not recorded in the book of Acts, but it is in Galatians again. And he is there in the desert of Arabia for three years, what the Bible says. Uh, It is there, he says, he's not in contact with the apostles. He's not trained by men, but it is God who grows him. It is God who leads him, and it is God who prepares him. Now, I think that is an interesting thing. It is not an overnight turn of events. Over these three years, we hear nothing about it. We hear nothing of the process, but he is shaped and he is prepared in those three years. After that, he returns to Damascus and he preaches. And the Bible tells us the Jews there, they want to kill him. They want to see him dead. In fact, they plot, they plan to kill him. Well, Saul hears of their plans, some others hear of their plans, and he escapes. The Bible says he's lowered in a basket outside of a window, out of the city walls. From there, we find our verse today, and that's where we've uh, come in our journey so far. So starting today in verse 26, he's lowered outside of the city wall, starting today, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. Verse 26, the progression, the account moves on. He goes back to Jerusalem. Now, I think about that for just a second. What a trip that was. What a, what a long trip. What an interesting trip that was. He leaves as a hard-hearted hater of the church. Now, over three years later, he comes back as a bold preacher for the church. He leaves these three years ago. He is a hater of Jesus, but now he comes back and he is an ambassador for Jesus. Now I think about that. I wonder during those three years if people talked about Saul. Maybe in the evening when they sat down for their evening meal, maybe in their, their break when they were doing their job, their work, maybe they would say, Whatever happened to Saul? Do you remember the man Saul? Do you remember the things that he did? Whatever happened to Saul? I wonder if the high priest who gave him his papers to go and secure those folks in Damascus. I wonder if the the high priest ever said, we haven't heard back from Saul. I wonder what has become of Saul. I I wonder if those Jews that he was their hero. If they ever said, well, we we thought we had a leader. Whatever has happened to Saul? And there are rumors that are coming back to Jerusalem. There's rumors that are coming to town. But, but surely those aren't true. Surely he hasn't turned to the other side. And they hear the rumors. But maybe the question was, wonder what has happened to Saul. Well, the Bible says now he has come to Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem. And it says he was trying to associate with the disciples. Now, an interesting thing from the, the translation it means he was trying to join himself to the disciples, to the believers. Think about that. He, he comes to Jerusalem. He is a believer. And so he tries not just in a loose sense to associate with the disciples, to associate with the believers. He actually tries to join in to the group of disciples. He tries to attach himself to the believers. The verse continues... But they were all afraid of him. They were terrified of him, not believing he was a disciple. Now be sure here, they knew him. They knew him. He comes and he shows back up and he says, you know what, he's a follower of Christ and he tries to join them. He tries to attach himself to them but they remember the violence that he incited. They remember the hardship that he has inflicted. They remember the day they buried Stephen and the Bible says they wailed as they buried him and I'm going to tell you very honestly, they couldn't stand him. Is Saul, It is that Saul. Remember that Saul? You know the hardships we've endured because of that Saul? And he wants to join with us? Not that Saul. He tries to join himself to him, but they are afraid. Verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 27, we read again of Barnabas. We know his name means the son of encouragement. We know that he is a great blessing to the church. Well, verse 27 says that Barnabas took hold of him. Now, I think this is pretty awesome as we see the verse ahead of it. It means that he literally got hold of him. He attached to him. Now see the language here. Saul had tried to attach to the believers and they weren't having it. They were having none of it. But Barnabas goes and he attaches to him. He joins himself to him. And it says he, he brought him to the apostles. Now primarily this was Peter, uh, those that were with Peter. And he, he brings them to the apostles and he tells them how Saul had met Jesus on the road. Now, I, I, I try to picture that conversation. Remember, these were the guys that, that ran with Jesus. These were the guys that had traveled with Jesus. And, and Barnabas says, he met our Jesus. He's been with our Jesus. And it says he tells them how he talked to them. Don't you know they would remember how they had talked to Jesus? Don't you know in these days that they would long to talk to Jesus? And Peter Peter says, he's he's talked to my Jesus. He's talked to Jesus. And I'm sure his ear leans in as he he listens to Saul, as he tells him his story as he talked to Jesus. Barnabas says he tells how in Damascus he preached boldly. He says he's spoken out. that, That means that he did not remain silent. He has spoken out. He, play, he did not play it safe, but he spoke out the truth of what he knew, the truth of Jesus. And so he brings him to the Peter and to the disciples, to the apostles. And he says, you know what? He has seen Jesus and he's talked to Jesus and he's spoken out boldly. He wasn't silent about the truth of Jesus. See this Barnabas. I love Barnabas. Good old Barnabas, he acts as an encourager. Here comes Saul, and you know what, he has no people. The people he left, they don't want him, the people he's come to, they don't want him. He he knows he's on a mission for Jesus Christ, but you know what, he has no one to to stand with in fellowship, and I'm sure he's, he's lonely, and I'm sure he's intimidated, and here he comes, and here comes Barnabas, and he encourages, and he takes hold of him. Barnabas acts as an encourager. Not only that, he acts as a mediator. He says, I'll go with you, I'll I'll take care of this. And he he acts as the go-between. He acts as the mediator. Not only that, he acts as the facilitator. He sets it all up. He not only acts as a facilitator, he acts as his advocate. And he says, you know what, you be silent. They're not listening to you, they're scared of you. But I will use my reputation and I will plead your case. And Barnabas advances the cause of the gospel. Let me tell you something, Calvary Baptist Church. We need some people like that in the church. We need some people like that in the church. We need some people in our churches to say, you know what, I'll join with you in that cause and I'll go with you. You won't have to go alone. I'll go with you in that cause. And I'll vouch for you in that cause. I'll even lend you my name. If you need a name to trade on, I'll give you my name. And I'll stand with you. You won't stand alone. And they advance the cause of the gospel. We need Barnabases in our church today. Man, we've got folks and they're all griping about this and they're all worried about this and they've got this issue and that issue and they're trying to put a wedge of division in. We need folks to say, you know what? I'll go with you and I'll stand with you and I'll vouch for you and together we will advance the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 28. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem speaking out boldly in the name Jesus of the Lord. Now, the book of Galatians, again, setting up the timeline, tells us that he was only with them for about two weeks. It's not a long time, but he's there, he's introduced, evidently they make amends. They accept him in, and he travels with them for about two weeks. He is moving about Jerusalem with them, talking about the apostles, and it says he is speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, I want to go slow right here. Notice, in verse 27, in Damascus, he spoke out in the name of Jesus. He was not silent. He spoke out. Well, now in Jerusalem, it says that he is speaking out in the name of the Lord. Now, I want us to get this. Get this today. Church, be sure He wasn't preaching a message and asking Jesus to bless it. He wasn't preaching a message and asking Jesus to endorse it. Some folks do that today. He wasn't preaching a message and attaching Jesus to that. Some folks do that today. No, understand, his message is Jesus, Make the distinction there. He doesn't come there and preach a message and say, Jesus, I need you to bless my message. He doesn't go and preach a message and say, somehow, I'll attach Jesus to it. No, his message is Jesus. Now, this is what that means, and we need to be very certain of this. The message of the church is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I'm going to say that again. We need to be very certain of that. The message of the church is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And it is the singular message of the church. Churches today are powerless because we are preaching every message under the sun except the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Folks come along to me and they say, well, it can't all be about that, can it? Surely not every message can be about that, can it? Surely there's room for some other message in our church, isn't there? Friends, I want to tell you, you go to the book of Genesis and you travel all the way through Scripture to the book of Revelation and I want to tell you the message of the Bible is Jesus. Therefore, the message of the church is Jesus. How do you know? This is a very practical question. How do you know if you have a God-sent, God-honoring preacher or teacher? And man, that's I want to tell you how relevant that is. There's there's everybody today has a platform. Everybody today can be a preacher. Everybody today, there's so many voices that you hear, everybody on the internet, everybody talking somewhere, and they've all got a platform to speak on. How do you know if you have a God-honoring, God-sent preacher or teacher? Here's your answer. It is because they over and over consistently, unapologetically teach Jesus. Well, that sounds pretty simple. Listen, that's the criteria. They over and over, consistently, unapologetically, if you're around a God-sent teacher, they're going to take this book and they're going to open it up and they're going to tell you the story of Jesus. They're going to start in the Old Testament and they're going to work through it and they're going to have the word meanings and they're going to tell you the story of Jesus. And they're not going to get sidetracked when you're around them. It's going to be the story of Jesus. Have you noticed, as we move through Acts, after the church is growing, after the church is established, after the church is solid in its growth, have you noticed that the sermons were about how to slay the giants in your life? Have you noticed once they got on solid ground, the sermon started to be how to live your best life now. Have you noticed once they got on solid ground, there started to be sermons about how to remove the toxic thoughts from your mind. Have you noticed my favorite in Acts 15? There's six sermons on you are enough. You are enough. No, that's nonsense, isn't it? Over and over and over, You start in Acts and you start going through the the sermons that were preached and you go through the epistles over and over and over. The apostolic message, the New Testament message, the message of believers and the message of the church is Christ and Him crucified, our Savior for sin and that is the message of the church. A few years back, I went to a church, visited a church. But we, we go on vacation and I, I like to visit other churches and see what other folks are doing, see what their churches are like. I don't know, five, six, eight years ago, we went on vacation at, at Christmas time, and we visited a church. And it was the first message of the new year. We were there for vacation. That's why we got to hear it. And I remember going in this church and everybody in this city was talking about this church. This is the church to go to. This is the growing church. This is the happening church. This is the church you need to visit. So we went to that church. And I remember coming to that church, and man, it was, it was packed. The parking lot's full. The auditorium's full. And I remember the choir up there, and it was so impressive, this giant choir. And I remember the band, and I remember the praise team, and all oh, the music that they had. It was, it was tremendous, and it was so impressive, and all the people, and all the energy, and all the excitement, and all the songs that we did sing. And then I remember some guy came out. I'm not even going to call him a preacher. And with that setup, I'm, I'm sitting in my seat thinking I ought to just go up there and tag out with this guy. With that setup, with that setup, all eyes are on this guy. With that setup, he walks up to this little old pulpit and he opens this set of notes. And he says, today's message, we're getting ready to start a new year. It's going to be a new year. And so today's message is how to prioritize your calendar for the new year. No joke. How to prioritize your calendar for the new year. He even had a verse, number your days is what he told us. How to to set priorities in your daily planner. And he talked and he used illustrations and he had slides and these people watched it. And I thought, you know what? They don't need to have an invitation. There's nothing to decide here. We have to bring our daily planners and lay them on the altar. And man, that may have been good information. And I think that church has doubled in size since then. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that is not the message of the church. Our message is there is Savior, a Savior in salvation in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Our message is Jesus. Verse 29. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. But they were attempting to put him to death. He is talking, he is arguing. The word means disputing. They're saying, Well, know this, and he's telling them the truth know this, that he is disputing with the Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews, these were the Greek speaking Jews. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Those were his people. Did you know that? Those were his people. That's who he was. He was a Hellenistic Jew, he was a Greek speaking Jew. Those were the people that he led. Those that that he led, remember those? Those were his people. These are those folks. Remember it says that they gathered around Stephen and those from Cilicia, those Greek-speaking Jews, they argued with Stephen. Those were these people. Remember when they stoned Stephen? It was the Hellenistic Jews. Remember who was there holding their coats? These were his people. Very quickly, less than two weeks, They want to kill their old hero. These are his people. These are the ones he led. Man, Saul, tell us what you found. Hey, Saul, we know you. Tell us what you found. No, in two weeks, they're ready to kill their hero. Let me give you this warning. Sometimes, and I might say oftentimes, some of your biggest opponents are going to be your people. The ones where you came from. The ones that you never guessed would turn on you. And it's not about you. It's about their hatred for the truth. And he finds out very quickly some of your biggest opponents are some of your own people. Verse 30. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. I love this verse. I love this verse for one word, brethren. Brethren, I love that. Now listen, in the book of Acts, I think it's kind of funny. In the book of Acts, nobody is yet sure what to call these crazy people. We don't know what to call these followers of Jesus. And so we call them followers of the way. They've been called that. We call them saints. One time last week, they're saints. They're not sure what to call these folks. Well, here they are called Brethren, brothers, this guy that they hated, this guy that they couldn't stand, this guy that inflicted so much pain upon them, this guy that they were terrified of, it says, and the brethren, his brothers came and they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him on to Tarsus. Tarsus was his hometown. Saul of Tarsus, that's his hometown. And I have a question. There's not really an answer to it. But why did he go there? Why, why there? And I can tell you the answer is, well, God evidently wanted him there. And it's, it's Christ that tells him to go there. But, I, but I, I see that. He sends him, they send him off to his hometown. Why there? Remember, Jesus said a prophet will have no honor there in his hometown. Why there? We know out of there is going to launch the greatest ministry I believe this world has ever seen. We're going to see a tremendous impact, and that's going to launch out of there. But why there? We're not sure. There's no no right answer to that, but here's what I think. Maybe it was God starts him off back there so that those who knew him, could say, he's not the same. Isn't God awesome? That's what I think. That may not be true at all, but I I think maybe he's sitting back there and this great ministry that's gonna go and change the world starts in his hometown so that those folks could say, we know who he was, we know what he was like, we know the hatred in his heart, and isn't God awesome? Awesome. Listen, for the third week in a row, you can't be saved and not be changed. You can't be saved and remain the same. And so maybe he sends him there and it's a testimony to the God that changes hearts. Isn't God awesome? Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, and Galilee and Samaria, the Palestinian church, it, it had spread other places. But, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Verse 31 is a, is a summarization verse. Now the next verse is we're going to turn and go a different direction. We're going to take on a different subject And so verse 31 sums up this long set of events. It is a summarization verse summarizing what has happened up to this point. It says this, the church enjoyed peace. Now we know that that was short-lived. We know it was just for a little while. But at this point, Saul has gone on. This, This agitator has become silent. He's become saved. And for a little while, the church enjoyed peace and it says this and the church was being built up it means it was in the process of being made stronger the church was being better equipped the church was being instructed and growing and they were growing in knowledge and they're growing in faith and they are becoming better prepared as disciples of jesus christ very simply the church is getting stronger What an awesome thing that is, what an awesome picture that is. The church isn't dying out, the church isn't stagnant, the church hasn't gone to sleep. No, the church is getting stronger. And it says, and they were going on in the fear of the Lord. Now we talked about the fear of the Lord Sunday night, I told y'all not to miss it, so I'll just have to explain it. Going on in the fear of the Lord. What that means in the fear of the Lord It meant that they so revered God. They so respected God. They were so in awe of God that they considered God. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. They respect God and they're in awe of God and they're astonished with God and so much so that they don't want to get far from God and they don't want to walk in disobedience of God and so they walk close to God. The church says, it says here, they considered God. They went on in the fear of the Lord. It means they move forward and they're considering God. Is this what we're supposed to do as a church? Is this how we're supposed to do it as a church? Does this serve the purpose of the church? Does this fulfill the mission of the church? Does this honor God and the church? And it's not their plans and it's not their agendas and it's not the things that they want. But they have lined up with God and they are walking with God in the church. And it says, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Very simply, that means God is with them. God is with them. They are growing as the church. They're becoming better equipped as the church. And God is with them. He encourages them. He uplifts their heads. He strengthens them. That's what Christ promised, isn't it? I will send for you a comforter. And so he comforts them in the church. And then the last line of the verse that summarizes it all is this. It continued to increase. Folks, I want you to see this. We're about to wrap this up. The church continued to increase. It means the result of all of these things was the addition of souls to the church. It means the result is, listen very carefully, people are being saved. People are being saved. Folks, I want you to see this and I want us to be very clear of this. I want us to understand this. If the church is doing what the church is supposed to do. You know what? The the goal is not that the community would say, oh, we love your church. If the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, they wouldn't say, look at all the good deeds of the church. If the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, if the church is doing what the church was built to do, if the church is doing what the church is commissioned to do, lost people are saved. I think we've lost that. I don't know if that's very high on our radar anymore. Listen, the mission of the church is that lost people will be saved. That's why we come. That's why we preach. That's why we learn. That's why we train our kids is that lost people will be saved. That's why we play the music. That's why we play the instruments. We want to have a mission where lost people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they are saved. The mission of the church is for lost people to be saved. Period. That is the mission. And that's why there's only one message. That's why I'm not going to tell you about your daily planner today. You can figure that out somewhere else. There is only one mission to lead people to Jesus Christ. And so there's only one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We exist to lead people to Jesus. And the summarization of it all is this. And it continued to increase today we're living in the last days I don't know how many folks have said that but, but if, you're not, if you're not aware of that look around, we're living in the last days lovers of money and lovers of self, revilers, evil, disobedient to parents we're living in the last days We are living in those days. Look at our world. And I want to call you as the pastor of this church. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to call you to the most unpopular thing. I want to call you to the most unappreciated thing. I want to call you to the most hated thing. And that is this. I want to call you to be a church that has a single message and a single mission. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our mission is to lead people to the hope that is within us our Savior, Jesus. You know what the world needs in the last days? Now, I'll just be honest with you. It's not, a, it's not an election. You can have the election. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a court. It's not a politician. It's not an army. It's not a movement. It's, what the world needs in the last days is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you who's going to deliver it. Not anybody but the church of Jesus Christ. We have one mission, and therefore we have one message, and that is this. Jesus saves Jesus saves. Let's pray. During Father, we come. And I, I, Lord, I am humbled. Lord, I'm convicted. Lord, we get so distracted. We get so caught up in the things that we want, and the things we like. We get so caught up in the world's answers that we, we forget, we neglect that there is but one answer, and that is Jesus. Lord, I pray for a church that's so single-minded that if you bump into us, the good news will pop out. Lord, I pray that we'll be a church that exists for the mission of leading lost people to Jesus Christ. I pray that everything we do will be checked against that. I pray for the folks in this room that they wouldn't say, you know what, it's a teacher's job, it's a preacher's job, but they would understand they've been saved, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they exist in this day, each of us to lead people to Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us in that. Use us for that. Empower us for that. Lord, help us lead many home. Lord, as we were singing in a song earlier, Lord, as I was thinking about this week in verses, very shortly, very shortly, there's gonna be a trumpet that blasts. There's gonna be a shout of the voice of an archangel. And Jesus is gonna come for his church. Lord, I look forward to that day. You tell us to comfort each other with those words. And those that have died will come with you. There'll be a reunion in the air. But Lord, I pray that in great character and integrity and resolve and faith, until that trumpet blast, that we would be faithful to tell a lost world about Jesus. Help us, Lord. Use us, Lord. Lord, I pray for somebody in this room that doesn't know you. I pray that today... In this event, in this hour, that they might turn and trust you for their salvation. I pray that you would move and work in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you've been honored. And I pray as we leave here that you continue to echo these words in our hearts. We would walk in obedience and you'd be honored in that as well. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.